0: If you ever speak with someone who is a lung specialist, ask them a question. What should I be inhaling into my lungs? And they will tell you, um, well, uh, nothing hot. Uh, nothing nothing that, you know, if you're asking that question, you're trying to get an answer which says what you're doing is okay. So mm, they're probably not going to be able to help you feel better about that. No. Find a way to inhale some nice, clean air with all of the required oxygen that the body needs. Yeah, that's what you're looking at. The average adult every day inhales about 11,000 liters of air. And there was something really interesting that was put out by House Fresh, okay, a little while ago. And what it did was it looked at the number of cigarettes we were indirectly smoking Because of poor air quality. And we can go into this a little later on this hour. But if you look at London, Ontario, in Canada, there were five cities with essentially, or I guess, essentially poorer air quality than London. So you have Montreal, you have Windsor, you have Hamilton, Kitchener, Ottawa, and then London was sixth, where we are indirectly smoking 113 cigarettes every year because of poor air quality. We'll get into that a little later. But it led us to a discussion about, well, indirectly smoking, period, and secondhand smoke. And because Dr. Alex Summers had talked about the use of tobacco plateauing instead of going down, and when you look at young people and the amount of vaping that is going on, this conversation probably needs to be had again. So let's have it. And we're lucky enough to have with us Dr. Glenn Kisby, who is a professor of pharmacology in the College of Osteopathic Medicine at the Western University of Health Sciences in Lebanon, Oregon. And also Dr. Jacob Raber, who is a professor of behavioral neuroscience, neurology, and radiation medicine and an affiliate scientist in the Division of Neuroscience in the OHSU School of Medicine. Dr. Kisby, Dr. Raber, thanks so much for being here.
1: You're welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: So, Dr. Kisby, maybe lead this one off for us. You have been studying effects of secondhand smoke, and we might think, ah, you know, we've got less of it. You, very few restaurants, certainly in Canada, you can't do this, but there are fewer and fewer restaurants anywhere in the world that you can walk into and have cigarette smoke lingering in the air. Can't fly in an airplane with it. Ah, things have to be going a whole lot better. What are you finding?
2: Uh, well, we, we aren't actually uh, clinicians, but we actually take the literature that other people have actually published and ask the fundamental question of specifically what secondhand smoke would do specifically on brain function.
0: And that's something that we're going to get into. So in other words, you are noticing that th- this is still a topic of conversation.
2: That's
0: true. Dr. And Raymer, let's get into brain function and some of the effects because. Hey, we always think about our lungs. You're ingesting secondhand smoke. You're ingesting secondhand smoke. Human lungs, eh, they're pretty wild. Even a smoker for a long, long period of time can eventually show improvement in their lungs if they stop smoking, if they stop inhaling all of those particles. So when it comes to brain function, Dr. Raber, why does that all of a sudden come up?
1: So basically, when the lungs get exposed, it doesn't stop there. And, we, for example, if you think about the COVID and especially lung COVID, it's the same thing, although the lung has been looked at carefully because it's obvious people have breathing problems, right, if they have to um, get on a ventilator or so. But there is in lung COVID. There are also later effects in brain that uh, might be secondary to lung or might go straight. Uh, some particles might straight go to the to brains and, and not even necessarily affect the lungs as well the same way. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention regarding uh, the earlier point, so um, it's important to realize that many people that live today um, were growing up being exposed to secondhand smoke uh, when this was allowed. Uh, for example, in airplanes, white right, people would sit in the back. They were smoking, but you were sitting in the same airplane or they would go you know, to discos or pubs and so on, brown cafes where the ceilings were brown because they were smoking so much. So um, it's very sad, actually, to see that these days, again, there are so many people smoking cigarettes. Uh, But I think what the uh, paper that you cited highlights is there are other forms of uh, environmental pollution, uh, poor air quality that also can have detrimental effects on brain.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, we don't want to have detrimental effects on our brain in any way. Dr. Kisby, we're going to dig into the study that was done and and that you focused on, but in kind of painting the picture of of what that study aimed to do. Can you help us out before we go to news?
2: Sure. Um, And simply simply what we wanted to do is do something that nobody had done before in animals as basically models. So we decided specifically to, in collaboration with uh, my Dr. Raber, we actually wanted to replicate what the human experience. We know that humans are exposed seven days a week because they don't just give up on the weekend their cigarettes, they continue on. So that's a first. The other thing too, we wanted to replicate what the blood levels of some of the particular toxins that are seen in cigarette smoke to replicate that it's actually secondhand smoke as opposed to actually mainstream smoke, which is basically taking and inhaling it through a cigarette.
0: Okay, so you are basically being able to create this and you did this or you you looked at this having been done and then you came up with some results in this that are absolutely fascinating we're looking at secondhand smoke and the effect on the brain and we are going to continue to look at that At effects of secondhand smoke with the help of two researchers, Dr. Jacob Raber who is a professor of behavioral neuroscience and neurology and radiation medicine, also an affiliate scientist in the Division of Neuroscience at the OHSU School of Medicine, and Dr. Glenn Kisby, who's a professor of pharmacology in the College of Osteopathic Medicine at Western University of Health Sciences in Lebanon, Oregon. And we're looking at some study results that have examined... Mice and put mice into different situations. And let's dig into this. Dr. Raber, let's first off help us understand why mice were useful in this study.
1: Mice are useful in this study because we want to look at long term effects. And uh, mice live much less long than humans do. And in addition, there are genetic uh, mutant mice available. So, in addition to wildlife mice, we included uh, mutant mice that express a protein that is relevant to Alzheimer's disease, the tau protein. And so we had males and females and the Alzheimer mouse model as well as wild-type mice. And what we did okay. is um, using um, an uh, exposure system, we basically have a smoking robot, and every day we would load it up with a package of cigarettes and the smoking robot and uh, basically um, – Smokes uh, the cigarettes are being smoked, and so smoked, and therefore the mice are being exposed to secondhand smoke in a very controlled fashion.
0: And Dr. Kisby, how long did this go on for?
2: Uh, that's another key point that I forgot to bring up was the fact that this is one of the first studies that has done it chronically for exposure for ten months, which is a fair amount of a mouse's life. So it replicates the human experience, basically.
0: So replicating a human experience of what a human would experience over a much longer period of time, Dr. Kisby?
2: At least in the mouse model, yeah. You want to replicate as best as possible what humans would be exposed to over a long period of time. And this is one of the first studies that's actually done it for that long.
0: Okay, let's look at what came out of this study. Who wants to go first?
2: Dr. Rabin can go
0: first.
1: Sure. So one of the big surprises we had, so um, for risk to develop Alzheimer's disease, uh, women are at a higher risk than men. And like I mentioned earlier, we had the al- Alzheimer mouse model. So going into it, we would think that the female mice with the Alzheimer model would be more susceptible. But what we actually found was that the male wild-type mice were the most susceptible to the effects of the secondhand smoke. Really, and that okay. came out so- that came out in the in brain measures, it came out in metabolic measures, and in all the measures we looked at, the the male mice, the wild type male mice are most susceptible to the secondhand
0: smoke. So Dr. Kisby, what do we take away from that?
2: Uh we take away that the fact that chronic exposure can actually lead to uh, basic behavioral changes, and but also having a profound effect, specifically on brain metabolism. And we are uh, part you know, of this particular project was to look at how it actually interfered, specifically, with the overall, you know, the anatomy of the brain. And we actually found very. Uh, Different changes were taking place, very small changes were taking place. not large changes that you would expect with larger doses on a short or shorter if, interval, but maybe over protracted times, this might lead to specifically finer changes. and that's why we saw the changes specifically that Dr. Rabus saw in both behavior of the mice as well as the metabolism of their brains.
0: We're talking with Dr. Glenn Kisby, who is with the College of Osteopathic Medicine at Western University of Health Sciences in Lebanon, Oregon, and also Dr. Jacob Raber, who is a professor of behavioral neuroscience and neurology and an assistant affiliate scientist at the OHSU School of Medicine. We're looking at secondhand smoke and the effects of it, where it isn't just about the lungs. You're finding this has an impact on the brain, so... Dr. Rehber, what do you hope happens now that these findings are out?
1: We hope, actually, the next step we started to look at um, the gut uh, microbiome of the mice, and there also we see changes in the gut of the mice. And the reason that's important, that gives us really a, a tool in the future to try to think about maybe probiotic or other manipulations with the uh, gut microbiome to try to prevent the detrimental changes of the second-hand smoke.
0: And Dr. Kisby, is is this just another example of damage that can be done, whether you're the one smoking and using the tobacco products or not?
2: Yes, I think what uh, people have to understand is that, uh, and I think you led off in the beginning, is that cigarette smoke is just not going to affect your lungs It's going to affect many organs, and we found specifically, as Dr. Raber pointed out, it may be affecting specifically your gut as well as the brain. So multiple organs may be involved.
0: So more research on the way, Dr. Kisby? Um,
2: That's what Dr. Raber and I hope to uh, plan to do in the future, as you pointed out, we're trying to ask the question of what's the contribution of the effect of cig- secondhand cigarette smoke on the gut microbiome does it an affect on brain function as we observed in these mice
0: well dr. Kisby Dr. raber thank you so much for explaining the way that this study came out and the findings you have so far best of luck in your future research uh,
1: thanks for thank having you us. Very much.
0: That is Dr. Jacob Raber, Dr. Glenn Kisby, helping us to understand some of those effects of secondhand smoke.